Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to tonight's game. In sports, you're either a winner or a loser at the end of the day. But what happens when players cheat their way to the top or let money and fame influence their performance? Is it really competition if the result is already known before? Sure, the good guys get the glory and the fame, but what about the ones that lose their way on the journey? Let's talk about it. I'm Matt Johnson, and this is Game Changers and Rule Breakers, the podcast. We have reached episode three of the Game Changers and Rule Breakers podcast. And on today's episode, we take a look at perhaps one of the greatest coaches to ever coach in the National Football League, but also one whose tenure has been marred with scandals and overall resentment. I don't know. He just doesn't seem like a very nice guy to me, but he wins on the field. If you can be whatever you want to be off the field, then go for it. Bill Belichick, perhaps the most controversial, successful coach anyways in the NFL, and definitely one of the winningest. But does his on-the-field success outweigh his off-the-field methods to accomplish that success? Let's take a look. Bill Belichick was born all the way back on April 16, 1952, to Jeanette and Steve Belichick. Now, from a very young age, Belichick was around football constantly. His godfather was College Football Hall of Fame coach Bill Edwards, and his father actually played in the NFL for a year in 1941 with the Detroit Lions and later became an assistant football coach at the U.S. Naval Academy. Belichick himself said that his father really got him into football and was really one of his biggest mentors, and he learned a lot by hanging around Navy practices and just watching what the coaches did, breaking down game films, watching plays, the whole nine yards. Belichick graduated from Annapolis High School in 1970, where he played football and lacrosse, and later attended Wesleyan University in Connecticut, playing on the school's football team at the center and tight end positions. Belichick eventually went on to get his bachelor's degree in economics in 1975, but football remained his calling. After Belichick got out of college, he decided to get into coaching, which led to him continuing that up until the present day. Pretty good job for a career choice out of college. Seems to have worked out for him. But going all the way back to 1975, he took a $25 a week job as an assistant to then Baltimore Colts head coach Ted Marchabroda. Okay, first of all, How did he even live on $25 a week? I know it was 1975, but still, you have to be extremely dedicated to your craft to be able to accept that kind of money. 
And I guess that just shows how obsessed and just driven Belichick was. And this led to bigger and bigger opportunities for him. In 1976, he moved over to the Detroit Lions, coaching tight ends and wide receivers. 1978, he was on the Denver Broncos as an assistant special teams coach. And in 1979, he found his decade-long home at the New York Giants. Belichick started as a defensive coach, coaching linebackers, and eventually rose to the position of defensive coordinator under legendary head coach Bill Parcells in 1985. Belichick's defense immediately found success although having Hall of Famer Lawrence Taylor to work with certainly couldn't have hurt matters. Giants ended up winning Super Bowls in 1986 and 1990. And get this, Belichick's defensive game plan from the Giants' 20-19 upset of the Bills in Super Bowl 25 has even made it into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. A game plan. That's just ridiculous. But he didn't stop there. If his defense was so successful, then why couldn't he manage an entire team and be a head coach? And the Cleveland Browns gave him the opportunity in 1991. Belichick was not as successful in Cleveland as he was in New York, kind of following the norm for Cleveland sports, but that's a whole other topic. During his time in Cleveland, he attained a 36-44 and record with one playoff appearance in 1994. As the Browns began the process of moving to Baltimore and becoming the Ravens in 1996, Belichick was let go along with the rest of his staff. After Bill Belichick left the Cleveland Browns, he needed a place to get back on his feet. So he headed to the Northeast and to Robert Kraft's New England Patriots in 1996. Sound familiar? I thought so. Belichick worked under Bill Parcells here as an assistant head coach and DB's coach, helping lead the Patriots to the Super Bowl, where they lost to the Green Bay Packers. However, Bill Parcells would leave for the New York Jets after this season, and Belichick followed him as his DC. A couple years passed, and after Parcells stepped down as head coach after the 1999 season, he wanted Belichick to get his second chance as head coach. He wanted Belichick to coach the Jets. And the management agreed to it. When you have a Hall of Famer telling you that, hey, maybe try this guy, coach, it's pretty hard not to listen to him. This led to a crazy turn of events. As Bill Belichick accepted the New York Jets head coaching position, and the day after he was hired, during the introductory press conference, he quit. He resigned. He said, I don't want this job. He actually wrote his resignation note on a napkin. And it said, I resign as HC of the NYJ. This is prototypical Belichick fashion. He is a no-nonsense guy. He is not flamboyant. He doesn't show off at all. When he wants to do something, he just does it. He does it his way. He doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And apparently he didn't care what the Jets thought about him either because he was out of there after a day. He turned his press conference into a resignation. And where did he end up after that? Back in New England, Belichick became the Patriots head coach 
going into the 2000 season. At the time, the Patriots had a solid quarterback on their roster named Drew Bledsoe and had just selected with the 199th pick of the sixth round of the 2000 NFL Draft, a young quarterback out of Michigan who you guys may have heard of before by the name of Tom Brady. Would Belichick find success in New England? Would his past failures with the Browns follow him into his new job? It remained to be seen, but I think most people already know the answer to that question. Belichick's tenure in New England started normal enough. In 2000, the Patriots went 5-11 behind quarterback Drew Bledsoe, did not make the playoffs. Not on part of Belichick's standards by any means, but in 2001, everything changed. Drew Bledsoe went down with an injury. Tom Brady entered, played lights out the rest of the season, and the rest is history. But instead of just saying the rest is history, we've got 20 more minutes of this podcast, so lucky for you, you're going to get to hear the history. Brady went on a tear, surprising everybody around the league that this former sixth-round pick was doing this, was playing this good. And Bill Belichick, the mediocre coach of the Cleveland Browns from back in the 90s, was helping bring this team back from the brink. In the 2001 playoffs, the Patriots played the then-Oakland Raiders in the infamous tuck rule game, where a late fumble by Brady was ruled an incomplete pass due to the forward motion of the ball at the time. The Patriots went on to win this playoff game and eventually win Super Bowl 36 in 2001, earning the first championship in Patriots history. Belichick had his golden ticket in Tom Brady. Let me tell you, he made the most of it. Belichick followed up the 2001 Super Bowl with repeats in 2003 and 2004, becoming the only coach to win three Super Bowls in four years. Not Don Shula, not George Hallis, not even Jimmy Johnson. And I'm sure there are many, many other good coaches that I could mention here. But Bill Belichick just outclassed them all. And this was in his first five seasons with the team, too. Can you imagine Robert Kraft's reaction to that? Hiring a head coach and having him do that and bring that culture and bring that type of success to your organization? He must have been over the moon. And lucky for him, it did not stop there. brings us to perhaps the most notable season in the Patriots dynasty for good and bad reasons, the 2007 almost perfect season. Now going into this year, the Patriots, after not getting back to the Super Bowl in 05 and 06, knew they needed to make a change and get Tom Brady some more weapons to work with. And they made that change. They made that acquisition by bringing in one of the best receivers of the 2000s, Randy Moss from the Oakland Raiders. 
This gave Tom Brady the vertical deep threat he needed, and the Patriots capitalized on it. Belichick's squad went undefeated in the regular season, 16-0, the first team to do that since the 16-game schedule was introduced in 1978, and only the second team to do that in the Super Bowl era behind the perfect 72 Dolphins. Belichick and the Patriots rode this momentum all the way up to the Super Bowl, where they aimed to complete the perfect season and join the 72 Dolphins as the only teams in history to do that. However, the season was spoiled by Eli Manning and the New York Giants, knocking the Patriots out of championship contention and preserving Don Shula's 72 Miami Dolphins as the only perfect team in history. Belichick could not have been very happy about this, as the famously stoic head coach always, at least when I've been watching him, gives short and to-the-point answers during interviews and doesn't really let you know a whole lot about what's on his mind. But if there's one thing clear to me, it's that he cares about football, he cares about his team, and he cares about winning and doing it the Patriot way. However, the Patriot way, we would come to find out, is not always the best way to do things. In the NFL, and in all levels of football really, teams rely on signals from their sidelines to tell the plays and just get general messages across to the players on the field. Now another part, but a key separate part of football is film. You get video of the other team's games, you see what they do, and you work on your game plan to try to counter those things. Now where signals and video collide, is how we get Spygate. On September 9th, 2007, NFL security noticed a Patriots video assistant videotaping the defensive signals of the New York Jets during a game from the sidelines in direct violation of NFL rules. The Jets found out about this and were expectedly not happy. They escalated it to the league office, and the NFL began a full-blown investigation into the Patriots and their practice of potentially stealing other teams' signs. Now, the NFL found pretty good evidence, including the tapes themselves, proving that the Patriots did this, proving that Bill Belichick knew about it, and proving that Belichick benefited from the sideline video. Now, if you know anything about the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell, if anything happens to make them look bad, they're going to come right back at you with full force. And on September 13th of that year, the NFL levied a record fine on Coach Belichick of $500,000 and fined the Patriots organization $250,000, in addition to their first-round pick in the 2008 draft. Belichick, for his part, did accept full responsibility for the situation, admitting that it was wrong, and accepting his punishment. So I'll give him that there, but to tape an opponent during a game in violation of rules that you know and that everybody else in the league knows, but yet doing it in plain sight anyway, I don't know about that one. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. 
However, Belichick was undeterred by this and went on to lead the Patriots to the perfect 16-0 season that I mentioned earlier. Does cheating help you win? Sure. Is it worth $500,000? Maybe to Bill Belichick it was. But that's just the Patriot way and its ups and downs. As it turns out, though, the Patriot way was a pretty damn good way to do things in terms of on-field success. The Patriots made it back to the Super Bowl in the 2011 season under Belichick's leadership. However, once again losing to the New York Giants 21-17. In the following couple seasons, the Patriots had to deal with a lot of upheaval on the roster due to departures of longtime standouts Wes Welker and Danny Woodhead, injury to star tight end Rob Gronkowski, and the whole Aaron Hernandez situation, which I'm not going to get into on here. You can look it up on your own time. It's it's not worth me talking about. But despite all this adversity, the wins just kept coming. Until 2014. The Patriots started 2-2 two and two this year, which is not the worst thing in the world, except when you get blown out 41-14 to to the Kansas City Chiefs. This is the pre-Patrick Mahomes Kansas City Chiefs. This is not a team that was blowing people out 41-14, especially not Brady and the Patriots. Belichick, after this game, in his famously stoic manner, responded to every question, we're on to Cincinnati, the Patriots' next game. You think your quarterback played good today? Well, we're on to Cincinnati. How would you deal with your defensive performance? Oh, we're on to Cincinnati. Is there any concern with the players buying in? On to Cincinnati. What a guy. What a guy. Reporter's best friend. However, they really did respond to Belichick's leadership after this, posting a 12-4 record that year and reaching Super Bowl 49, where they defeated the Seattle Seahawks on the famous Malcolm Butler interception at the one-yard line. Just run it up the middle with Marshawn Lynch, but that's that's a different story. This earned Belichick his fourth Super Bowl, tying Chuck Knoll for most Super Bowl wins by a head coach. Fast forward to 2016, you find the Patriots back in the Super Bowl. And here is the famous, or infamous, depending on what side you are, 28-3 comeback over the Atlanta Falcons. I remember watching this live. I couldn't believe it. I'm not a Patriots fan. Some people may call me a Tom Brady hater. Love or hate Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, and the whole Patriots organization. If you come back from 28-3 to and have a coach that can scheme that and can motivate his players to do that, that is something else, and I have to give that man props. Belichick won his fifth Super Bowl title as a head coach, and it looked like the dynasty would continue for many more years. And the dynasty did continue. In 2017, the Patriots went 13-3 and 
with an NFL record eighth consecutive 12 or more win seasons and reaching Super Bowl 52. However, losing to the Eagles in this one, 41-33. Patriots would return to the Super Bowl in 2018, this time defeating the Los Angeles Rams 13-3, give Belichick six rings, and tie George Hallis and Curly Lambeau for most championships as a head coach. However, people were beginning to wonder, can he do this without Tom Brady? Is this Tom Brady's team, or is this Bill Belichick's team? Because for the past 18 years, they were tied at the hip. Where Brady went, Belichick went. Where Belichick went, Brady went. And Brady was about to go somewhere else. Faced with scrutiny in his later years in New England due to the Deflategate controversy from 2014, carrying all the way over into his four-game suspension in 2016, Brady was ready for a fresh start. And he found it in Tampa, going to the Buccaneers in 2020. Belichick responded by signing former Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton, who did not live up to the successor label to Tom Brady as the Patriots went 7-9. and nine. Now questions were about to get really, really interesting in New England if Belichick couldn't turn this around due to his status as the head coach and the general manager of the Patriots. So he had total control. And when you give a guy total control in any type of situation, you better hope he knows what he's doing. Because if he doesn't, you're going to go down the toilet really quick. Belichick is still coaching the Patriots as of this episode's recording, midway through the 2023 season. And he has not so far lived up to the Tom Brady dynasty days, missing the playoffs in 2020, 2022, and looking so far to miss the playoffs in 2023. But it's a long season. Anything can happen. These past couple of years should not undermine what Belichick has done in New England. Over 23 seasons, 262 wins compared to only 108 losses. Ridiculous mark of success. To be a winner in the NFL, you have to do things at a high level and do it for a long time and be able to adapt to any situation. And Bill Belichick has proven that he is a winner. But did the winning come at a cost? We'll examine that next. Now, as always, at the end of the show, I give my take on whether Bill Belichick, was he a game changer or was he a rule breaker? Now, let's look at both sides of this. Did Belichick change the game of football? It's hard to argue that he didn't. Six Super Bowl rings, eight if you count his years with the New York Giants, Decades-long coaching career, 23 years with the Patriots, many more years as an assistant. Belichick has been in the NFL consistently since 1975 all the way into present day here in 2023. That is hard to do in an industry that loves to hire and fire people as often as they do. Another thing working in Belichick's favor is that his teams always played smart. 
They were disciplined. They listened to him. And he got the most out of players that many others would not have seen the potential in. Tom Brady, sixth round draft pick. Super Bowl champion wide receiver Julian Edelman, seventh round draft pick. Converted quarterback. The previously mentioned Aaron Hernandez. Very, very valid character concerns coming out of college. Belichick turned him productive on the field. And there are many, many others that I have not listed. But Belichick, as a GM and Belichick as a coach, knew how to get the most out of his players. But did he play the game the right way? It has been proven that Belichick broke rules. It has been proven that his players broke rules. He has admitted it. If you know that you are not allowed to tape during a game, especially signals, and you do it anyway, and you do it in broad daylight, and you do not expect to get caught, then you are not thinking straight. Or you just don't care. Maybe it's worth it. Like I said earlier, maybe 500k is chump change to Belichick. I know 250k was chump change to the Patriots, and they got a 16-0 season out of it, so I don't know. Maybe it was worth it for them. But in the eyes of me, I support people that do things the right way. And cheating and blatantly cheating is not the right way to do things. Additionally, having your MVP franchise quarterback not cooperate with NFL investigators during the Deflategate scandal, destroy his cell phone, and end up being suspended four games is not a good look on your organization. Belichick claimed he had no knowledge of it. That may be true. That may be not. Regardless, accountability starts at the top. If I've learned anything from my life and my time in workplaces and organizations is that accountability starts at the top. For the final verdict, game changer or rule breaker? I've got to give Belichick the game changer label for this one. It's hard to argue with the amount of hardware that he's brought to New England and the amount of rings on his fingers right now. Bill Belichick is, in my eyes, the greatest coach in NFL history, and in football history in general. Especially in the NFL where parity is enforced through the draft and the salary cap, it is extremely hard to have a two-decade-long dynasty like he did with Tom Brady and the Patriots. Hats off to him, honestly. He knows what he's doing. He's been around forever, and he is a student of the game. And coming from someone who always rooted against the Patriots because they would always beat my Chiefs when it mattered. Not the biggest fan of him, but I do respect him. And I do think that he forever changed the game in the NFL. That's going to do it for our show this week. Tune in next time to see who the next big game changer is, or maybe we have a rule breaker. Who knows? It could be either or. But the only way for you to find out is to listen to this podcast. I'm Matt Johnson, and this has been Game Changers and Rule Breakers, the podcast.